Yeah, perfect. <laughs> well, hello everyone. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. Um, this is a new episode, a special episode actually, that I'm recording um, because I want to talk about my good friend Stefan Legrand's adventures <laughs> in the past year. Um, he's a great friend of mine from, from uni and well, I'll just let you introduce yourself a little bit at the beginning. Hi everyone, thank you for welcoming me on this show. It's been a long time coming because like you spoke about it like uh, yeah. months and months ago and I remember you spoke about it before it even was a thing. <laughs> so I'm very happy to see that like your projects are, uh, are going through, so that's great. Uh, well, I, yeah, we met with uh, Vivek when we were both at uni. Uh, honestly, it's just been like, it's just really way weird how we, we all met because like I met uh, Kevin, who is also another one of my best friends here. Uh, we we met him. I met him like through handball, and then he introduced me to you. I think it was. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think so. I met Shankar because we were living together, right? We yeah. were in first year, we were in the same hall, and then suddenly you you and Kevin appeared uh, from from handball, and that's <laughs> that's pretty much how we met. Which, to be honest, only you and Kevin used to actually go to play handball because Shankar used to yeah. go for the socials, <laughs> and same as me. Like, actually, <laughs> I think I went to like one training, and that's, that's pretty so much weird. it. For the quick story, before I was playing polo, uh, English, I mean, you know, like the actual British polo. Yeah. I don't know why I went for this. I was just like, I remember like walking in the sport fair and like being like, huh, I'm in the UK, I should go for something very, very British, right? So I went <laughs> directly toward the horses and how, okay, well, what am I going to do? And I, I started practicing it and it was okay, it was fun. Uh, although I have to say it sounded like a lot like a big networking event. Polo. Yeah, like there was just a lot of people there as well, like uh, to network. And I think I didn't really like. It's all rich kids, right? Uh, no, like, no, no, no. It wasn't just rich kids. You had like kind of like different strats of uh, society, but um, I think it's a sport. It's 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 a very special sport, and to to like it, you also need to like enjoy this this kind of thing where uh, you're uh, working with an animal, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not the only one. Because I'm I've been used to like doing sports like tennis and rugby and and football where I'm the sole person, you know, at the helm and um, yeah. I need to produce all the physical, like, physical like effort to yeah. like achieve anything. And there you also have, you have to produce some physical effort, but then you also have to rely on the horse. I get create that bond with the horse as well, like where um, you feel confident playing with, uh, with it. So it's, that's why like, uh, I guess for me, that's what, that was the main reason why I felt, I felt like I should go, go to handball, which is weird if you think about it because like, I mean, I've moved on to handball just kind of uh, on the whim because, like, I'd done tennis my entire life. Tennis, right. tennis, tennis, tennis. Uh, like, you started very early, right? I remember super early. And, like, it was, like, single sport. Like, you, you by yourself and you play against, like, one person. Sometimes you do doubles, but it was it's not really, like, a team sport. Right. And to confess with you, I, I hated it. Like... I've always been like a team player, but somehow I was doing I was, was I was doing tennis, so that's why I went to handball, and it's, so that's why it's so hilarious. Like it's literally it's like my entire life putting me through like um, single player sport, right. and then I go to uni and I want to try uh, a, team, a sport team sport, and I meet my best friends there. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. That, that's that's a great story, man. That's that's what uni is for, man. You try out different things, right? If you hear me slurp, it's because I'm uh, drinking a Costa coffee, <laughs> freshly roasted from the uh, local Tesco. <laughs> very high quality. Very, very high quality. Very high quality. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like, 
you, well, the basic theme of the podcast is to come along and start off from a previous point where we where we ended. But this episode is not like that. <laughs> this episode, I want it to be a special one. I want uh, to hear all about your experiences in the past year and just to tell people like um, why you decided to do it, how like what you've been through and and all that. Just to give a little bit of context, so Stefan was started actually doing a master's in LSE mm-hmm. and then suddenly decided to change uh, <laughs> change completely, I would say, like take a 180 and travel around the world. He's been to Ukraine, yep. South Africa, Namibia, yep. oh, all, sorts, all sorts of places, man. Also and was it, in Switzerland for a little while, but it's not as cool, right, to say you were in Switzerland. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And that's, the thing is, it's only nine months. Like we were talking about it the other day, it's yeah. only nine months, and you've been to all these places, man. So this is all about all about your experiences, and also just maybe start off by saying like, why did you decide to do it, right? Yeah, um, I think I think the best way to talk about it, and uh, I kind of pledge myself to being as honest as possible when I took this trip, is when a final year of university, so. Uh, Vivek had already graduated because we did start university <laughs> together, but I switched course uh, in my first year, so it turned into a four years, uh, four year struggle. <laughs> no, I mean it went well, but it was a four year adventure. Whereas uh, he stick to his gun with uh, maths and physics, and yeah. uh, I, I switched to uh, the Greek called PPL, politics, philosophy, and law, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed. I, I loved. Uh, actually, when COVID hit. Uh, right afterward, I was supposed to go on the year abroad to Milan, to Bocconi, for a year abroad. And uh, when, of course, Bocconi, um, of course, uh, COVID was like happening. So they they asked me if I wanted to do the entire thing online, which I thought for a year abroad wasn't really like the point. So then I decided to stick to work and just like finish my degree there. Um, so we started with, I lived with uh, with Kevin, uh, Kevin's yeah. flatmate. Um uh, we started living in Leamington Spa, and I think at that point in my life, I was already wondering. I, I was wondering where I'm I wanted to go. Close, sorry, I'm just gonna close the. Yeah, sure. The door because it's quite noisy. Unfortunately. There you go. It's, like, it's fucking 40 degrees today <laughs> in in London, so maybe closing the door the door wasn't the best idea. But we yeah. are dying. Have to have to. We are roasting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sorry, sorry, carry on. And uh, so yeah, at that point, I was already asking myself what, where I wanted to go, and I think it had been a very long, uh, very long uh, time coming. Like I, I for context, I I came, I, th- I think I came from a lot of um, privilege in a certain way. I had like a lot of opportunities when I was younger. Uh, my parents were really hardworking, and I was hardworking too i'm not gonna mm-hmm. just uh, completely like I've undermine myself but I, I was working a lot and i felt like i felt like i fell into some kind of um, a rabbit hole of just seeking uh corporate positions because i thought that everyone around me was doing it without really like without really actually going and trying something i thought i would enjoy and mm-hmm. this is you know it's fine like it's, it's, this isn't the point is not to judge anyone who goes through this. It's actually just to acknowledge, and I think it took me a while to acknowledge that my own fears were mo- what really was getting in the way. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you grow up and you get to like these like universities, prestigious universities where you get a lot of opportunities. And 
in a weird way, there's this thing that kind of sets up where you're scared of losing this status, right? You're like, oh, right. I'm part of this like potential smart bundle of people, and well, that's so cool because there's a lot of people who don't go to university are equally smart. Yeah. So it's not that, but you do get this kind of weird uh, vibe where you feel like, oh, I'm in this kind of part of an intellectual people best of the where best. I want to hang out. Exactly. And uh, you're like, oh, I don't want to miss that, you know. I don't yeah. want to like, like you know, let it go. So. You, you tell yourself, maybe I should go for like uh, this big consulting job or consultancy job or investment banking, corporate law, which Warwick, uh, if uh, anyone who's listening knows well about Warwick, it's got this very, very corporate culture, mm-hmm. which is fine, of course, that's the this direction the university uh, decided to take. But I'm a bit, I'm a bit like, it wasn't, for, I don't think it was for me, right. this, this kind of culture. So... For many years, I, I, I tried. I remember, like, at the beginning of the year, I started to, like, check consulting job, and I was just trying to push in that direction. And I always kind of thought, like, why am I actually doing this, you know? And at the back of my mind, I kind of knew it wasn't for me, but I just kind of pushed through anyway. Um, it was just, like, the, the thing to do, right? The next thing to do, you, you, you finish your degree, you get a job, or you do a master's, or, like, you, you don't really question why I'm, I'm, I'm doing it, right? Generally speaking, you yep. don't really question why I'm actually doing this. Like, do I actually enjoy this? Do I actually want to do this, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what you started to ask yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been asking myself this question for a little while, but it really kind of, it kind of, like, increased... Uh, in my final year, of course, because I had to make these like the decisions. Um, I had the back of my mind just getting a master's. And to be very frank with you, it was more to do with prestige than it really was about like learning anything more. Oh, okay. That's the that's the thing, right? Like you get into this like spiral and you get all these very smart people around you like achieving stuff. And after a little while, it's a bit hard to know what you want out of it because it's like your own wishes and your own perspective is getting like entangled with other people's stories right. and it's kind of that's that's like a tricky thing because everyone has a story and everyone has reasons why they do something and getting influenced by that is uh is wrong like it's nice to learn from other people it's nice to like seek to understand how their lives go and why they're going in a certain direction but you must never forget that like you're your own right and comparing yourself to other people makes no sense because just different stories yeah different backgrounds different upbringing different everything right so you can't like you can't say oh this person has this or this person has done this why am i not doing it or you know i feel i feel like shit but like you don't know what they are going through as well right exactly so why am i not as good as math as uh vivek (laughs) why (laughs) i wish because you're stupid now i'm just stupid (laughs) <laughs> you need a superior brain to you do need math a superior brain to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i get that like uh i wish i was born on the right right side of the word <laughs> to, be f- to be fair you know what like we both are you know pretty smart people but kind of in, <laughs> like in the opposite in the opposite direction because like you are very 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 good at reading understanding and writing that's your like I've seen it and it's so so good. Whereas <laughs> I'm more of a numbers guy, right? If you give me anything to read, I'll fall asleep after two sentences. But if you give me numbers or maths or like you know problems to solve something like that, it's that's what intrigues me. Yeah, that's what intrigues me. The right? funny thing is how much we connect into like scientific stuff. Because exactly. every time I meet Vivek, like, and I'm telling you, every time I meet with Vivek, it's like 
Okay, so explain to me how a black hole works. Hold on. So if there's a non-Newtonian fluid, what does how does that work? And I just I just love it because to me these are like, I'm super curious naturally, but a lot of the very nitty gritty kind of like technical stuff might like pass through what my understanding would be, and I know it doesn't for Vivek. So. And he has uh, like an amazing capacity. And I'm telling this from experience because in my first, second year, my second, first year, I can't <laughs> it that way, first, second year, <laughs> second, first year, uh, I had um, so philosophy. So for those who don't know and who you might have been studied in philosophy in continental Europe, philosophy in the UK is very analytical, analytically driven. Mm -hmm. It's all about like, uh, it's all about like being logical in the way you create uh, arguments, which is a very good skill to take away with you in life, but it's also sometimes it can get quite uh, quite tough. And I was doing something called logic, which for any math students in the world is like <laughs> the easiest subject, right? <laughs> it's just like you give this to a five-year-old. But for <laughs> some reason, I was struggling a bit. So I, I, I went to, to Vivek and I asked him if you could help and ex help explain to me like uh, logic. And the funny thing is that, you know, there's this like quote, but I, I think it was Einstein, but I think I've probably seen it in too many like Instagram pages and I don't even know if the source is right, but they say uh, like, if you can't explain something simply, then you probably haven't understand it well. Yeah. And uh, that's the, that's when you realize like how, how Vivek gets things. So like I asked him something, which to me would have must have been complex. And he was able to explain to me in such an easy way that like, I think I understood very well afterward and I scored a really high score uh, at my exam partially thanks to you because you, you had the like you had that, that like like holistic understanding of the topic so you were able to pinpoint exactly what I was struggling with and so you could like explain to me that's what I try to do man that's what I try to do when <laughs> when I explain shit to people and that's what I mean that, that's the way I, th I think that's the easiest way to understand things right just break it down into very simple steps understand where you firstly what do you what you actually understand and then build up from there, right? So that's that's what that's what I try to do. Um, Some kind of like cumulative knowledge. Kind yeah, of exactly, exactly. Start from like a common ground, and then you 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 build up from it. I always said you would be an amazing teacher in another life. If you end up being a professor, so you, you could maybe you could hundred percent end up being such a good like teacher or. <laughs> Or, or maybe even through this podcast, like a teacher, teach some stuff about science. I don't know. <laughs> Dude, I was actually thinking about it. Like, you know, when um, when I'm done with like corporate life or when I'm sick of like, you know, working for other people, working in, in general, when I just want to do something chill and, and you know, something I enjoy, I might, I might just be like, fuck it, I'm just going to go uh, teach A-levels or GCSEs or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because I think I would actually in, I would actually enjoy that. Like dealing with kids, you know, sometimes will be a pain in the ass. Yeah, it's true. But I think the actual aspect of like teaching people, I think I would quite There's something about the, the, a child's mind that is like kind of uncluttered, you know, like they, they're so ready to learn. And I guess for like uh, someone who teaches science, it's uh, very fulfilling because then you reach 20 years old and people tend to have biases getting in the way their mm. own like uh, lack of self-confidence like i think math is a really good example of this um i i used not to be really good at math um i uh when i went to school i think i don't want to blame it on my teachers it was a bit like half half right i had some teachers which i think they didn't go through with me and i don't think i was as uh, rigorous enough and i didn't understand math uh so i kind of like developed a re rejection of it for a little while and i think when i arrived in university and I realized that like all everything that I made up in my mind about this fear of math mm -hmm. uh, wasn't true. I actually like even though my degree didn't like include the math at all, 
I learned on the side more maths. I did like microeconomic school courses and stuff like on EDX and Coursera. Mm -hmm. Just because I knew I was a very analytical person and like there was no reason for me to be scared of maths in a weird way. And so in right. some of the job I did, like, and I'm talking very basic levels of math, right? I'm thinking about like making a percentage in your head and stuff like that, but just the quick thinking that's involved mm -hmm. with it, just the logical reasoning that's involved with it. Even working in like, I mean, I've been renting boats. I've been uh, working in like uh, like hostels and Getting stuff. All sorts. Yeah, also, I've done so many different weird things. Uh, but like, it's just, it's nice. Like, it's nice. Like, you just develop the confidence uh, with it. And you realize that like, oh, everything you've been telling yourself is just wrong. It's just, <laughs> it's just about like, of course, you're not going to be a PhD in math. But then it's just... when you... There are only a handful of people that can really yeah, just a handful of people who can actually achieve that. Yeah. Like, you just have to like, let go of a bit of your insecurities. Well which is easier said than done, for yeah, sure. But, exactly. You know, you can get there. If I can get there, I'll tell you, you can get there too, <laughs> especially with maths. Yeah, um, yeah, 100%, man, 100%. So maybe maybe talk through um, a little bit about that as well. So because you, you were saying, like, you you were you, you were deciding whether to do the master's and you were questioning about, like, should, is this actually the next step for me? Um, so... What what made you actually decide like right I'm gonna I'm gonna quit the university and be like right fuck it this is this is it I'm gonna go travel the world. So I think it's a mixture of different things. Um, of course, like I would say that the COVID environment, especially the anxiety linked to it, affected me a lot, okay. a lot probably more than some other people because I'm very extroverted and I used to really get energy by being with people mm -hmm. and when everything got taken away from me like during like covid time and i just spiraled down for a little while of course i had private issues as well that like affected me a lot uh and like essentially and very frankly like the f year the like final year of university was uh very very tough on me like it's it was hard to even communicate how much, how tough it was because we had enough exams and I'm not usually, I wasn't usually a person who would like talk about its uh, failings because I just, I was just perfectionist and was scared of like being seen as weak. Right. And you're also a guy, right? I mean, generally, generally speaking, mm. guys don't really talk about their feelings much as much as girls. Uh, that as that, girls that is true. That is true. Uh, it's, which it's is probably not a right thing, right? It's exactly, it's, it's, a, it's a shame because I mean, it should be. Um, it should be okay to talk about your feelings, I think. Showing vulnerab vulnerability is, like, to me, a, one of the greatest signs of strength because you're yep. able to own up to these things that hurt you. You, you, can, you can, like, wear them on your, on your sleeve, you know? Um, yeah, you, you, you are able to... The first sign of, you know, or the first step to dealing with your vulner vulnerabilities is to actu actually acknowledge them, right? So you're able to deal with them only if you actually acknowledge that you, that you have them. Absolutely, um, absolutely, and like support a supportive environment can only grow if there's some kind of like honesty between people, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, men have this toxic side that you can refer to as toxic masculinity, I guess, where uh, sharing these like struggles, unless they're within the accepted frame of what is acceptable, right? So I would say like struggle with work or struggle with uh, uh, maybe relationship is still kind of ac uh, accepted but some other things are, are just not um, like when you talk about mental health for example for men like of course like right now we're like it's getting better and better 
first it's a long time coming yeah. <laughs> long time coming uh but it's still take it's, it's still quite hard for men to like openly talk about it because they i don't know it's hard i don't, don't really understand exactly why but i think you you get into a position at some point where you feel almighty and all powerful and you just don't see the interest in uh, sharing about vulnerabilities because in a way you're you're scared that like if you talk about them they might become true but mm. the fact is that they already are they already are true that's right? the thing yeah. they, they already exist and the thing is if you don't talk about them you just you just give them even more clout you know even more power even more power and so um mm -hmm. who is it is it a naked chick dancing <laughs> no it's not just oh yeah. <laughs> what is it <laughs> yeah yeah so continue <laughs> carry on <laughs> carry on please <laughs> where um, were we yeah so um i think whatever happened i um well back then I, I, at that moment i didn't realize it was so ocd is called obsessive compulsive disorder it's uh, not that widespread it's maybe three percent of the population who has that and please if you say i'm so ocd don't stop saying it because it's there's nothing funny about this like uh, i mean like it's fun to joke about it because you know you're trying to own up to it but honestly on a day-to-day -day basis it really is it's the worst thing and i just wish i could just you know like clack my fingers and right. uh, and stop having it so maybe explain like what what is actually ocd because i've seen people say that they have ocd but you know they do stuff that i've seen many people um do that on a, on a day-to-day basis like you know I don't, know, I don't know, they open the, close the door like three times or something like that, or like they have to have all the pencils and pens organized yeah. in a specific order. Like, is that, does that count as OCD or like what? Well, what, what is okay, that so thing? first of all, it only counts as OCD if you're diagnosed with it. Like, this is, the, I guess, the, the easiest answer. If you go to see a psychiatrist and, or like a specialist and they diagnose you, so a, med, a doctor mm -hmm. diagnose you with it, then you have it. That's the, the this, this, it's not like something you just feel you might have. It's, right. Because uh, I understand that some people might 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 say, oh, I'm, you know, I feel like I might be OCD and stuff like that. Which and then I encourage you to go like have yourself, have yourself like uh, diagnose because it's a, it's an important thing. Uh, but it just manifests itself in some in so many different ways. Of course, some people are like, for example, the most famous one is, of course, the hand washing thing. It's like people need to hand wash them, their, their hands like three times because they're, they're scared of getting something. Right. This is the most visual and the most famous one, but it can take many, many different shapes. Most of the, the thing with OCD is that like there's an element of fear because you can't control the situation. Right. So you're going get, to get and seek reassurance through like uh, some like some like um, movement of some like uh uh they, they call it like so it's just like you, you, need, you need to perform an action to, to get a reassurance and what i mean by that is that your cd is triggering a massive anxiety wave in your body okay and like when i mean anxiety wave i mean like you become dysfunctional like um so you feel like if you don't do that specific action something bad is going to happen or you you're not going to be yourself yeah. or some, something is going to happen like for example uh I think a very visual and easy example would be if I don't uh, close the door three times, my parents are going to die. That's okay. like a really good example. The thing is, a lot of people, when you tell, you explain this to them, uh, they, seek, they seek to find the logical thing in it. But there's no logic. It's right. just... It's all in your head. It is. It's like, it's a mixture of like a bio, bio, biological, uh, fertile ground and... Uh, 
and just like some experience like i guess when you grew up maybe some anxieties that was there right. that like favors it so it's it's a hard like even like for most people even for most scientists it's still kind of hard to understand where exactly it's from but it's it's being it's like the the way it's cured now it's it's gone much better than than it used to mm-hmm. um but what i mean by that is that a person who would like you would who would say they have ocd right they are let's say they have ocd and they they put all the, the, the you know the cutlery and the forks in a specific way it might seem funny you know but the thing is if they don't do it their body will trigger a massive anxiety wave and the thing about anxiety it's not exactly it's not quite fear because fear is something it's like you're it's directed at like a specific thing uh-huh. anxiety is just widespread all over your body it can make you uh, completely dysfunctional. I think the OMS classify this like um, this. Uh, I don't call it. I to call it this uh, pathology as uh, top ten most uh, most uh, debilitating uh, disease in the world because really? it just can make you and I. It just can make you like a, a vegetable because you're scared of doing any, anything because you. It's like <clears throat> you're scared of feeling this anxiety again and it just keeps building up. Right. And that's the thing. It's it's also a very hard thing to even explain, because it's just it's not like a broken leg. Like a broken leg right. is broken, and everyone can see it's broken. But uh, then what's <clears throat> sorry? Like what's the difference between like OCD and superstition? Right? Because they there's quite a lot of overlap in that sense. Yeah, right? there are because superstition can be part of the OCD, right? Some people are afraid that like because like, they went. But they they went like below a ladder, yeah. and their life is gonna collapse. Yeah, and that could be a sem- like a symptom of OCD. Like the thing is, it's again get diagnosed. You know, like mm-hmm. it's like I'm talking about it because I'm experiencing it and I'm going through it and trying to like heal from it. Um, but of course, I'm not a doctor. So if you listen to this and you feel like you might, please go and just see a psychiatrist. There's absolutely no taboo with this don't think that because you go see a psychiatrist you're crazy or something right it's, it's completely not normal. like just if you feel if you feel like you've got some pain in you please try and seek like uh someone uh like to, someone to talk to to like express the, these and try and solve it because if there's one thing you know like uh these statistics uh, they, they've come up a couple of times about like how men um like suicide in men are so high, mm-hmm. but I'm not too surprised because there's also this element of like not talking about like your your fears, not talking about what makes you right. suffer. Everything just builds up, right? And at some point, like fuck it. Exactly, and I not and I can tell you because I was dead in that year. Like this issue engulfed me completely, and I really like folded on myself. I uh, I didn't want to have a, like I had friends, of course I had you guys, and I. Thank God I had you guys, but I I, can f- I felt like I was just folding on myself and I focused on my studies because just the pain was atrocious. Uh, back then I didn't want to like even like consider medication because I thought if I take medication it's just a rabbit hole and I'm never gonna get away from it. Uh, so I just kind of like tried and pull through it in the most toxic way possible. Just I dived into studying and sure. fair enough I achieved the first, but like at what cost? Like you know. Right. And so wait, in terms of like how to solve OCD or the or anxiety, you know, all, mm. all that, like what's the best way in your opinion or what you've been told at least? Um, well, you've got different ways. It? Like um, 
Is, do you have to actually deal with it? Or? Yeah. So usually the, 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 the gold standard that's what I've been reading most about and been uh, uh, going toward is the, called um, ERP. So it's called Exposure Response Therapy, mm -hmm. whereby you learn to live with anxiety. So you face the fear. Think of like a phobia uh, uh, being arachnophobic. You're scared of uh, spiders. Mm -hmm. The way to solve, if you want to solve it, is actually to, 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 it's almost like to sit with a spider and just accept that the anxiety you're feeling when you see a spider is okay yeah. to feel it. And it doesn't mean that like anything is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. So this is pretty much what exposure response therapy is. It's recoding your brain if you want to use like a tick, uh, a tick, a, tick, a, term. a tick term, right? And uh, it's it's hard. Like uh, it's hard. It's long. It's complicated. It's full of setbacks, like life is. Uh, mm. It's full of setbacks. And anyone who goes through any mental issues, and actually anyone who goes through any struggles in a way, is a f some form of I think of uh, of hero. And I, I speak for like everyone who has to go through anything. You you can do it. Like that's the thing. Is uh, Sounds very cringe, but it's true. <laughs> it's cringe. And also there's the element where if when you're the middle, especially at the beginning of it, the the, the pain can be so acute that you start feeling, uh, yes, but like you don't understand how I'm feeling. And the pain is so acute. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to, this is where like, like sadly, like some like suicidal thoughts can start, can just start birthing because there's the idea like I can't deal with this pain and and like I'm alone, you know, and no one can help me. Right. And if there's, if there's a message I want to share about this is that it's so hard, but honestly, you can't pull through it. There, there's a, there, you can't pull through it and you need to talk about it. You need to talk, 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 open yourself as much as possible, seek help. And it's, it's, it's like, it's possible to, to, to pull through it. And it's a journey, you know, mm. it's, we all have a journey. And yeah, sometimes you don't understand why, Think something's happened to you, and why they don't happen to others? But I mean, things happen to everyone, right? Like mm. shit happens to to everyone. It's not you're not the only person that you know stuff is gonna happen to. Um, yeah, everyone has to deal deal with their own struggles, right? Um, you need to like, and you have to uh, learn to deal with setbacks instead of like avoid them. Oh think. yeah, because like them, they they keep growing. Yeah, they keep growing anyway. They'll they'll keep happening. It's just. The way you deal with them that changes over time, I guess. Mm. And sure, some people experience less pain than others, but and what you can't change who you are. You just yeah. you have you've been given this lot in life, and probably you're happy because you've gotten some things that some others be some other people exactly. don't. Exactly. So you know, exactly. it's like everything comes with a, with a price. You know. Yeah, we tend to, we as humans we tend to focus on like all all the all the bad things. Mm. It's kind of like inbuilt. Um, within us, it's it really it's, it's really like the 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 effect of like loss aversion, right? Yeah. Or like uh, losing a hundred pounds weighs so much more than gaining a hundred pounds, right? Um. So it's I'm talking hundred pounds um in terms of money, not yeah, of hundred no, <laughs> pounds. It does it does a weight for people out, for people out there. Um. But but yeah, so the humans like we tend to really weigh the losses much much heavier. And I think in this in this case, it's a perfect example, right? We just everything bad that happens it just hurts us so much whereas if something good happens we're just like oh we kind of expect it or like you know we don't we don't really put so much emphasis on it but you know what, what i think as well is that so uh for a little bit of um more insight when i when i kept going and i was really going through this ocd thing and it was a big struggle and of course there was the 
bloody lockdown in, yeah. in the UK, which of course was making it 10 times worse. Um, so I got my master's offer from uh, the London School of Economics. And uh, it was a pure joy for me because I thought that I really wanted to go there. And it was like almost like a, a dream come true, right? And mm -hmm. I remember like the spike of pride I had when I got the, the offer because I always wanted to go go there. It was, well, always, I don't know, but like I really want, wanted to get to this place where I was in this like elite of the elite of university, right? I was right. like, okay, above this, there's not that much above it, right? Yeah, so, you're pretty much in the top. Exactly. So I was like, oh, yes, I'm finally getting there where, where I want to be. Yeah. And as you said, like we focus, we tend to focus on the positive, on the negative more than the positive and the positive is short lived. Hmm. But the thing is, is also idea like the positive is short lived when there's also a bit of uncertainty within you, whether it's actually made for you, you know, when I got this offer, I was like, okay, good. Then I focus on my exam and they, they went really well. So I could like uh, go there. And then the summer, I just, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure where I wanted to, to go. And so I just kind of went for the default mode. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for the masters because, because why not? And the thing is by, I think by doing this, I lied a little bit to myself mm. and that that's okay. It's fine. But I did because I liked a bit of courage. Like right. instead of uh, directly seeking to do what I wanted to do by, by in September, which already was to like potentially defer one year, I just kind of went with it because I thought, oh, maybe I'll see, maybe it'll work out. I think that's not, I think that wasn't a really great thing because I knew that deep inside of me, that wasn't the right choice. Right. You know, like I knew deep inside of me, I needed something else than just going back to studying. Right. It wasn't really my path at that moment. And so when I went there, I met a lot of those of great people, like really, really smart and very interesting Cause, people. Because you actually started mm -hmm. the masters, right? So for a few weeks, you actually did did it, and yeah. then you were like, did "Fuck this weeks, shit." I think. Yeah. Did three weeks. Met some of my heroes, like uh, Professor Robert Wade, mm -hmm. who's like uh, one of the fathers of the development economics. Very interesting fellow. Uh, I mean, I think we spoke about development economics with Vivek and Shankar and all the yeah. friends a lot of times about how, uh, why I system dysfunctional you know mm -hmm. so it was great to meet the guy but i went there with the wrong mindset I, I the mindset was still the one i had at the end of my bachelor which was i can handle pain i can i can just like pain is not a signal of anything it's just i have to pull through it right instead of like trying to seek something that brings me a bit of joy um and so when i did it I, I met all these people and I, 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 I would split people between two categories in this master. You had like people like me who had just graduated from the bachelor who was seeking like uh, potentially like um, another, uh, another like diploma to prove their worth. Right. And then you had people who were like were 30 years old and had like careers and they were just deciding to go for this master's because they needed it for something specific. Right. It was the next step. Like they, they needed this master's to maybe get a promotion or, yeah. you know, or like switch career, you know, right. right. Which I identify a lot with these people. And I, I think in a way they even helped me realize what I was doing because they had a purpose for, to me, they had a, their purpose was a bit more clear cut and that was making their master journey, which is of course a long and heavy one, uh, for them probably like clearer and more what they actually were seeking. And I mean, bear in mind, I was doing a development, it was development management, which is a mixture of development economics and then project management mm -hmm. uh, for developing countries, masters. 
um, it's it's not something you go lightly in. Like it's an entire industry. You don't just get a master's and then from LSE in development uh, exactly. management. Right? You need to know why why you you want to get mm. in. But so the the other people you you mentioned, like the thirty year olds, they had they had a specific goal for why they were doing the masters. Yeah. But in your case, it was just it's just the next step. But you didn't really know why you were doing this, right? Exactly. So. You, you were just like, do I really need this? You know? For me, it was pure. I have to admit, I think it was a mixture. There's a big element of pride in it. I think I wanted to do it as well because I thought somehow it would bring me something, you know, like I would like make some, me some form of status. Like yeah, I'm just like, oh, good. I'm in NSC. Good. Oh, great. Like, and people would be like, yeah, well, but then you realize with time that first people don't care. Yeah. Like it's, it, you know, people don't care that much. And people who care that much about like these elements, probably not people you necessarily want to hang out with. Yeah. And if you think about it as well, like even, even with a degree, right? Like we, we both have, we both have a degree, but how many times have we been asked like, you know, how, what did you get in your degree, for example? Or like, yeah. um, when you tell people, oh yeah, I did, you know, maths and physics at, at Warwick, they're like, oh, okay, cool. But that's, that's pretty much it. It's like, I did three years for, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> three years of grinding, of like late yeah. nights. Well, maybe not for Vivek, because people have to understand that Vivek is an unbearable guy when he were everybody. Like, <laughs> he just gives this thing like, yeah, yeah, I'll check it out. And then he gets like an insane grade. And like, he finished second of his like course, which is ridiculous. Like, you have no idea. Maths and physics in Warwick is like the nerdiest of the nerds. They, they It's super hard to get in. Like, it's like that guy got five A stars. Can you realize that? Like, insane and and still he was literally chilling like which is unbearable like <laughs> i was blush. not chilling <laughs> but it's just what i admire about these brains like very logical brains like yeah somehow you just always seem to get it which is very impressive <laughs> well i came I, I i was third not not second but third. but 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 yeah like as, as, i mean i think with i finished technical... second at that Petition in China. <laughs> Ref, by the way, the big short. Please watch it. <laughs> He's my quant guy. <laughs> my quantitative. My quantitative. <laughs> oh, such a good movie, such the big a short. Such, such a, a bloody good, good movie. movie. <laughs> but yeah, I think with like technical degrees or like sorry, analytical degrees, um, it's either like you get it or you don't. Mm -hmm. It's either right or wrong, right? Whereas with um kind of like the more like your humanities yeah, and all that yeah. it's more quality like it it different people judge an essay in, in a different way right yeah so that's why it's a bit more it's, it's a bit more difficult it's just like uh, time consuming yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but so you decided right so you you decided right masters was not for you but then why travel the world because the first place you went was ukraine Swiss. it was ukraine oh was it, it was ukraine yeah yeah so why why ukraine like why did you decide to to go there then because there are so many other things you can do right if you don't want to do a master's why why go there this i think it was just the opportunity really mm -hmm. um when i decided to like uh, stop i went to speak to my uh director and just said yeah i need a year and he gave it to me and i was just like okay what do i do now i had a bit of money saved up and i told myself i can't just like spend this year sitting somewhere mm -hmm. then i also had my my grandfather passing away uh, that moment so there was a lot of emotion involved and i think i just kept thinking about that quotes that um you you you, you have a choice when you're 20, 20 something is that you can either 
live your life and potentially like fail because you can always fail. Mm-hmm. But can, do you do you do you ever fail when you try to see when you choose to live your life? I'm not sure. Actually, I think like choosing your life is is always some form of success. Doesn't matter if economically right. behind, like financially behind, you get anything out of it. You can either live your life or uh, live some live someone else's life and by putting putting yourself in their shoes. Right. And I just thought that like I needed to get experiences, like just go and experience the world. Try to like try to like get this kind of like fundamental shock. Or just like f- seek who I was a bit. It's, it's, it, felt, it's, it seems really dull, but the idea of like getting lost for a little while to find yourself, I think it's, it's kind, of, kind of relevant. So I just had a friend who is a photographer, who is a photographer, who um, like, because I wanted to learn more about photography. I had done a lot of like cinema when I was younger, a lot of like video editing, uh, very artistic things that I had pushed aside for many years. When you say cinema, you you mean like like short clips you used to record and yeah, small, I did like a short, short movie, a very short movie. Oh uh, shit! Yeah, yeah, like a couple of things like that. Like nice. And when I arrived in high school, I just thought, okay, it's enough now. Time to get serious, right? <laughs> get the, get the grades. Yeah. Whatever. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna cool. Can I can I learn with you? Can you teach me a bit more? Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, sure. And oh, by the way, I'm going to Ukraine uh, with a friend. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So we went to Ukraine and to Kyiv and because you were there right before mm. the war started, right? And I met the greatest, like Ukraine people were absolutely fantastic. So nice. Kyiv was very safe and beautiful city. There was this kind of nostalgia about this weird melancholy about Kyiv and where I, I found a lot of great energies. We, we met people and that's like uh, for the funny story like we met people because um like 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 one of our three friends uh used like uh used like tinder to like just like swipe right on girls right yeah but you know like it was a smart move because we thought because it's quite hard to talk to people in the east right so the only way that like we would get anyone would be to potentially like swipe and so he swiped on, on someone, like he went to like have a drink with her, spoke to her. And bear in mind, the idea was literally just to make friends because right. we were seeking to make friends and there's no other way than Tinder was the only app there. And so uh, he, he... So he used Tinder to like find people to like make, to like make hang friends. Out, yeah. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> oh shit. Like, there you go. Tip for people when you're in, you're in, a, when you're in just a random city. Like especially in the east, apparently it works really well. Oh, so he did it. Like he went to see her, and then he called us, and he was like, "Yeah, just like come over. Like uh, she she's got friends, and we can, she she can like bring us to a club." So we're like, "Yeah, sure." So we went. We met them. They were absolutely lovely. Then they brought us to like a Ukrainian like bar. Like, but like literally, you have to imagine this: so you walk in a dark alley, and it's like a neon far pink neon like in on the door, like glowing. <laughs> And it's just like you get in and everyone is speaking Ukrainian, right? Bear in mind, it's different from Russian. It's mm. uh, distinctively different. And uh, everyone stopped speaking at that moment. We're like, oh. And like the, the owner of the bar looked at us and he like took out like three glasses, which he called shots. But like they looked like they were basically half the, they were the size of like a, a normal glass almost. Okay. You know, like the the glass you used to have at school in the like um, the cantina. Yeah, yeah. Like, but these glass. 
okay so they were like oh, yeah the, the size of maybe they were as high as four fingers maybe or maybe maybe yeah four three fingers so, you know <laughs> so yeah. not a shot glass <laughs> it's not a shot glass it's nothing like a, it's like a small glass normal glass but it's right. not a shot and he took out like some kind of like bottle of water from behind the counter which obviously wasn't water but it was just what it was unlabeled so we, we couldn't know right just poured it in the three glasses he was like push the drinks in front of us like drink and we're like okay so basically if we don't drink we're dead <laughs> so uh we 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 pulled like we, we we downed them and honestly i thought my throat would like just burn like it was oh. so strong man oh my god it was so fucking strong was it like absent i was like <laughs> <laughs> your whole inside was just burning no right? it was like some kind of homemade moonshine vodka what? Like I don't know, he probably made it in his bloody garage or something. But the <laughs> second we, we downed it and like he saw that we weren't like uh, puking, everyone was like, "Yay!" <laughs> like this guy's drunk. This guy's legit. And we had the wildest night. Like then, like we came home. Uh, one of my friends was so drunk he like he like uh, hit one of the one of the guard posts of uh, an embassy because we were in the embassy area yeah oh, and like some military was like oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> amazing night and so we made a good fr good friends there and afterward we went to um yeah we went to, like to travel patrol around the city we made a tiny vlog that we posted on youtube and it was just great like i i think i really enjoyed um i just loved it at that moment i realized there was something that was missing in what i was doing and meeting new people and new culture was part of uh, this process. So um, when we went to Chernobyl after, I was gonna say, yeah, you went, you went Chernobyl. Yeah. How was that experience? Absolutely fantastic. Again, it was scary, 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 scary. I mean, like, again, have to bear in mind, like, I'm, uh, I'm I was terrified in a way because I was scared. I was going through anxiety. Like, I was scared that even my OCD would like kick in even more. I decided to go anyway, and Chernobyl is a weird place. Like you've got three different area. I think it's thirty, ten, and five, uh, like kilometers from the central. Okay. Uh, from when you see cent from the reactor. From sorry, the reactor, yeah. Because yeah. in French we say uh, central, you know, like so from the near, from the reactor. Okay. And uh, like the amount of radiation is actually most of the time not that high. I forgot the unit measure units, but. It's um, yeah, like you get the exposure throughout the day is about two, two to three of this uh, measure unit, which is the equivalent of like three hours flight. Okay, uh, so which not, is not that bad. Yeah, it's nothing. But it's more like your instincts are all t telling you, what the fuck am I doing here? Like your instincts are like, bro, what are you doing there? Like <laughs> this is this place is not welcoming for life. It's not a place for life. Like, um, the everything is radioactive, and like you you walk through these like homes where there used to be people and now of course there's nothing you see these old soviet maps on the walls and uh, yeah it's it's eerie and then you get to the, the the reactor and you see that you actually have like uh engineers working at the reactor really yeah because like the dome like the, the sarcophagus they made to prevent re uh, nuclear fallout so more like uh, more like uh, nuclear fallout from happening was built by a consortium of like French, Italian, Dutch, uh, different kind of, different kind of people. Uh, so they've got engineers working there. It's, they're, they're working like, you know, 50, 100 meters from the nu nuclear reactor. 
Oh, shit. So they, they carry this kind of tiny, like, uh, squarey thing around them that tells them how much radiation they're getting every day. And they're monitoring it, but, like, basically they can't sleep there. But they can work there. There's, like, I think they have right. six-month period where they can work there and then they can't go back for a little while. For safety, yeah. Exactly. But it's not that bad. As in, like, radio actually, radiation, the deadliest radiation were on the day, right, when they exploded. The, the firefighters and, like, the first scientists who were around got exposed to millions and millions of the unit. Bear in mind, I was exposed to two. They were exposed right. to millions and millions of this. Oh, so, of course, they died within a week. Mm, well, uh, also, like, cancer and whatever. Exactly. Whatever was, so yeah. radiation, is, uh, radi- uh, radiation is a complex uh, complex science. So, uh, of course, it's very scary it's scary when you hear it for the first time, but it's, it's, it's more, more complex than, than we think. So, But the, the um, taking pictures there was absolutely fantastic. And when we came, went back to Kiev, we interviewed a couple of paramilitaries. Right. Uh, so they were, I think they were from the city of Azov. Uh, the Azov Battalion is called. Okay. It's go, It's like a far right kind of like, para, I think it's paramilitary group in Ukraine that, um, well, like it's a, it's a group of people who basically want to defend Ukraine from uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. And uh, Russia claims that, I don't know if you've, you've, you've heard these absurd claims that Russia says that they all... That, like, there's a lot of neo-Nazi in Ukraine. Yeah, I they think want to denazify Ukraine. Yeah, and all exactly. That. Well, these absurd claims, well, they 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 come from they come from uh, uh, some people. If I remember correctly, and I, please don't quote me on this, uh, I think they come from some of the people of the Azov Battalion. So they they have a very like they have a very let's call it like this um, military militaristic culture. Okay. Like you, you see them, they they carry flags around and they were like, kind of like, I don't know, they were just like parading on the main square in Ukraine. So we interviewed them, asked them what they were doing here. Wait, what? what so the Azov Battalion, is that the name of the parliament? parliament? Yeah, that's the name. Okay. Yeah. Azov Battalion, like just check it out. Uh, and they were just there and we, we, we took pictures uh, of them. We interviewed them, asked them what they were doing and they told us some... They told us some like, uh, well, it was, of course it was weird because like so most of them were veterans. Mm-hmm. You know, they were coming back from the Donbas, uh, and they were like trying to defend. I mean, they, they they say they were trying to defend their country. That's what they were talking about. Right. And they told us that they were expecting a Russian inv- invasion, and we were like, oh, interesting. You know, back then it just seemed like impossible. We were like, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, like invasion, Russian invasion, nah, it's not gonna happen, right? So they actually were expecting, like, they was they were seeing signs that oh shit, shit shit's gonna go down. Yeah, yeah, they, they just said it's gonna happen, you know. And mm. we were like, oh yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then the thing is, like, you could see signs because in Kiev you had like aircraft flying uh, over Kiev a lot, helicopters going everywhere. There was this very the military was everywhere. You had veterans everywhere in Kiev, and you could feel the population. You could feel that you could feel this weird sense that like the population was a bit scared of what would happen. We we walk with a, a person we met on the bridge uh, whilst we were watching a little girl play violin. It was beautiful, and um, he came. He I think he was director of director. He was part of the orchestra in Kiev. Okay. And he brought us to the wall of the Fallen, which is next to the cathedral in uh, Kiev, which back then had 14,000 deaths on it, I think. Fuck. Uh, which now would be drastically more because of the war. But then back then it was just a Donbass, just between bracket, of course. Uh, a war in Donbass. And we, I saw people who were born in 2001 
like their pictures the fallen yeah fuck frightening and he spoke and explained to us the relationship between ukraine and russia he made an interesting point historical point about ukraine being founded by the rus so the rus for those who don't know is a population that came from uh, near scandinavia and who uh, settled in kiev which was originally the first capital of course it's debating debatable because you know identities and cultures with time they get very complex uh kiev fell i think to the mongols at some point and then uh, they some people moved higher up to what is now moscow so there's like the the identities between these two cultures is a very complex topic and i wouldn't know enough to really explain to the differences but there are differences and that's, right. that's for sure and they the ukrainian people were very adamant at like explaining to us that their ukrainian identity was like set in stone and strong and it was amazing experience so uh, i think i remember because literally the day before we left we heard the the siren of like alarm uh, i don't know why they were i don't know why they were they were like shouting uh, but it was like yeah premonition of what would happen a couple of months later so yeah because you went in uh, i think it was november last year october last year yes maybe? it was november yeah so it was right. somewhere in november yeah and the war started officially started 26th of february i think 26th of february yeah yeah so like a few months before i'm guessing like in those few months a lot of um well the, the military build-up started when i was there oh, uh, i remember my, my father sending me a message being like um have you seen what's going on just be careful you know and i was like oh yeah well military build-up is no no big deal you know yeah. like sure russia is just like showing its teeth like like they always are little did you know that a few months later there will be a full-fledged invasion no idea yeah especially that i paid my flight like 55 euros in total <laughs> from paris to kiev oh shit. yeah it was like the cheapest airline way i could find <laughs> and i have to say and this is like this is like i'm telling this to people people from the, who might be working in the manchester airport it's the worst airport in the world like i had the connection in manchester it took me almost two hours to get to the next flight and we had a four hours like gap between the two flights what? two and a half almost two and a half hours like it's just insane yeah the airports in the uk are having big trouble like manchester i think gatwick was one as well or maybe yeah, it's a, a guy who died in the escalators oh wait it's what awful. yeah it, um it's a guy so so i think he was a special special disability person um so he, he had a disability okay i think so um and he so he i think he was in, in a wheelchair and they were supposed to like take him out of the plane you know like after everyone's gone yeah. from the plane which is weird i thought it was the other way around actually i thought like i thought it'd be first yeah it'd right? be first as well so didn't exactly understand what, what happened there and so he was a bit tired of waiting so he said like whatever i'm gonna go so he started going and i think he went in the escalator and then he fell from the escalator Fuck. in gatwick like i know Ooh. very very weird oh, oh weird no very very like um uh, like it's awful it's just yeah. like uh, it's like the, weird as in like it's so, so unexpected that this would happen in like a modern airport exactly uh, exactly it's awful and they're having the heartbreaking Gat gatwick airport i think manchester airport as well they're having extreme staff shortages like mm -hmm. they literally they, they, this summer i don't know if you've seen but they've limited the number of i don't know if it's i think it was the airlines i think i think it was a pacific airline within the uk that has limited the number of flights that they're going to do per day i think it was an airport maybe i don't remember but, mm -hmm. but they're basically limited the number of, of flights because 
um, there's just not enough people, right? There's just not enough people in the air in, in the airports working. And I think that's a factor. Uh, that, that's one of the reasons that has led to that is Brexit, right? Because before people used to come here and work these jobs that nobody wanted to do, like you know, working at the airports and and all that from from Eastern Europe mainly. They used to come and and do those jobs, whereas now it's very difficult to do that, right? Actually, the um, this was this agency, the transport agency in the UK, or the flight, I don't know, some agency in the mm -hmm. UK, was basically saying, uh, asking the government for permission to make it easier for getting people from the EU, from Europe, to the UK just for the short period of time to cover the staff so shortages, but they were like, nah. It's not going to happen. But, you know, otherwise, we're just not going to have enough flights. It's yeah. fucked up. Yeah. The UK really needs to, like, find a way to strike a decent deal with the EU because... Yeah. This is not going to work out well. Yeah, it's. I mean, we speak as two European, like, and one of us is living in London, you know? It's yeah. like <laughs> living in London, but it's just... Brexit has made everything so complicated. It's unbearable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. But, yeah, so going back to Ukraine... Um, did you see any fucked up animals in Chernobyl? <laughs> I didn't. No? Because no, no, no. I've heard stories of like, you know, weird mutated animals. Well, did I you didn't. see any like fish with legs or some shit like that? Like, <laughs> no, they, they killed, I think they killed off all the animals uh, on the day or like in the weeks following the really? incident. Really? I didn't see any weird ass. I didn't, uh, I didn't hear that many birds though, which is very disturbing when you go in the forest. You, you know? didn't? I didn't. No, not that many birds. It was very silent. Oh, fuck. Uh, and it was eerie. Eerie is the, the only way to describe it. Eerie. Oh, it's just... God. Yeah, go, go ahead. It's just like... You walk these... You walk in the city... Uh, so it's Pripyat. Pripyat, I think that's the name of the city. Please don't... Don't judge my, uh, my uh, pronunciation. <laughs> I'm sadly not, not a Ukraine speaker. But I think it's Pripyat. Uh, the name of the city where they had to evacuate everyone. And you walk around that, you see the supermarket that's empty was still like all the, the you know, you see like the 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 chariot and the, how do they call it again? The trolleys. Yeah. Trolleys on the side, like completely like gutted by whatever, whatever instrument that might be. And then just like, everything is like slow. It's like it's stuck in time. It hasn't moved an inch. So they literally evacuated the city in this instantly as soon yeah. as the the accident happened, and then in a hurry. Like I think it, I think it different layers, but like they they evacuated super super quickly. Fuck. So like people left a lot of things behind, and you can climb into the the apartments and you see maps of you know maps of like USSR. You see like toys like Fuck. it's. Yeah, it's literally like you know, and the I Am Legend movie where they like evacuate everyone, everything. Absolutely, is exactly how it was before. It's um, it's 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 weird, and uh, I think it's something that um, most people would benefit from viewing, from seeing, because it's you know I've been to like very very um, very very impactful places mm -hmm. uh, where sadness was like. And like like horrible things happen. Like uh, I went to Auschwitz uh, when I was in my final year of high school, which was of course a very very heavy experience because we were told from very young age about the Holocaust. And mm -hmm. uh, I grew up around a lot of uh, Sephardi uh, Jewish people, so I I was I felt like a, a connection with like this 
awful uh, with this awful genocide that happened and um, so when I went there of course understatement I don't, I don't think I have enough words to express exactly how like horrible uh, that was uh, but when I went to uh, Auschwitz it was an experience like no other and I think everyone should go because you know you have some people out there who are like uh negationists you know like who say that didn't happen and these people need to go there because when you see the, the worst thing is that I, about auschwitz so auschwitz was one of the biggest like um concentration, concentration camp. camps yeah. uh, it's not auschwitz the worst the worst is um birkenau which is the extermination camp that's right next to auschwitz extermination camp. yeah so the concentration is where uh people gathered yeah, they were they were gathered there to like do forced labor, and in the case of Auschwitz, even like horrible experiences on human bodies. And then uh, Birkenau was the death camp. That was that was, was that where the gas chambers yeah, were. That's where they were. they were all like burned, by the way, by the Nazis when they left. So like you you only see like I think one of them. Fuck. But you walk there, and you have like they have like these big billboards where you can see pictures the American no I think the Soviet soldiers took when they arrive. And all of a sudden, it feels so weird, so real. You know, you like you see this, and if you've seen any movies like getting the Schindler's List or um, trying to think of the the boy in the striped pajama, yeah, you know, yeah. like you really start like putting like starting to identify and like picture it more and more. And that was a very hard experience because then you go home afterward and you like you see how far man like the the human race can go into obscurantism and uh, uh, mm. absolute pure racism it's like it's insane and i would i would say that this was like one of the most shocking experiences of my life uh, but it's something that you need everyone i think it's something that like at least not everyone but like people in europe need to do because always to remind ourselves why why we need to go for like uh, European values, where we need to like always strive to he- listen to each other, and why right we always strive yeah. to like yeah to build a healthy society. Because this is exactly what happens when we go down the rabbit hole of like hatred toward mm. others, you know. And so yeah, it was a traumatic experience in that case. Chernobyl is a mistake made by people, yeah, by governments as well, because like the the the, the nuclear reactor, which I remember the, they did explain to us why it exploded. There was a lot of like procedure issues and a lot of build issues. Sorry, build uh, building issues of this reactor, uh, and of course the cover up that happened afterward with the with the SSR. <laughs> it's just a series of like terrible events, mi- a mixture of like human human like error and a like corruption of of the mind because wait why why did the nuclear reactor meltdown because i forgot exactly why it why it was there was a there was um like a like a mis- and it was a mistake yeah but like what what actually happened so i don't want to i'm not sure i know i remember exactly what happened but i remember they had to shut down the reactor at the lowest level to restart it to restart the reactor okay but when they did there was an issue in the the way uh, there was both an issue in the way it was built and an issue in the procedure they did that made that made the core uh, meltdown right okay and this created the elephant foot the famous elephant foot you know that like super radio- radioactive piece of i don't know what sure what it is and then at that moment it exploded 
and most of the nuclear fallout fell in Belarus, actually. Oh. North, north of Ukraine. Was it... Nah, like, easily... Okay, don't want to give out, like, real statistics, but definitely most of the nuclear fallout, like, were in Belarus. More oh, than sure. Ukraine, because the wind was pushing north. Oh, so it took everything uh, yeah. to, to Belarus. And to this day, we're actually, like, unsure how many people might have like, had uh, cancer-related disease because of this. Yeah. It's very hard to estimate how many people died because of this. Yeah, because you never know, right? It's like it's like the the yeah, butterfly effect. Yeah, something. is it like natural cancer or is it like was it some way linked to exactly. the? the and of course, the USSR wasn't helping in like sorry, tr- sorry in trying no, to no, find no. these data. Very weird time yeah. in history. Oh. Shit. But so after so after you were done with Ukraine, then you went to was it Switzerland? And how did how did that happen? So just because my friend, my photographer Wait, just, friend, just, just in terms of context, we are yawning because we're just extremely hungover from yesterday. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just in case people are wondering, like, <laughs> why are we why are we yawning? But um, but yeah. So after Ukraine, you said um, Switzerland was because of a friend. Yes. Yeah, so my friend, the photographer for creative designer, he does a lot of things. Uh, lived there and. Uh, yeah, I thought I want, didn't want to go home, so and I wanted to learn even more about photography. So I went with him. He was so nice, very nice that he welcomed me in his house for a couple of weeks. And there I learned more about photography, creative design, After Effects, Lightroom, all these like uh, softwares. I wanted to go back to my artistic route. I think that I've skipped for so long. Right. And uh, yeah, but that that was that was it. Like I had a lovely, lovely time there. A lovely, lovely time. What did you do there? Like, do, were you were you working? I think I remember. Yeah, you I think I was, I was mostly just. Uh, I was just mostly like, both chilling, and like uh, working on like, photography projects and right. stuff like that. Like trying to improve your skills in that area. Pretty much, and trying to plan ahead for what I wanted to do. So then, when I left, I went back home because I had like a surgery, surgery that I had to do. Uh-huh. Uh And then uh, after a month. Everything after I was completely healed, I thought, okay, so what do I do now? I've got months and months before I even have to consider whether I should like go back to my master or not. So this was what what month? January. Was January. Okay. Um. So I thought I want to go somewhere. So the first my first thought was I want to go to Israel because I wanted to like start and start seeing the Middle East, and Israel seemed like a good place to start. And I always wanted to go there, mm-hmm. uh, but didn't find a workaway. So I, I was on, I was looking on Workaway. So it's like a website that allows you to work someplace, and in exchange of your work, you're uh, you're fed and you have a, a place to sleep. Okay. So it's a very nice deal. I went. So I tried to like I sent a couple of applications on it, and if you ever use Workaway, make sure to make up uh, a really good profile because it's how people find you. Uh, Mind you, like when I, well, whatever, I like, I did that. And the other one was like South Africa. I applied to South Africa because I wanted to learn more about like uh, racial divisions, because it's probably the place where you can learn about that because between Afrikaan, uh, different ethnicities within the black population in South Africa, which are Zulus, Nosa, um, a couple of others, which I think is 11 different like uh, subdivisions, wow, which yeah. I don't know all of them of uh, the English, like the English as well within it. So I was like, it must be a great place to learn about that. So I applied to this place called Atlantic Point, which if anyone from Atlantic Point uh, listens to this, 
love you guys. It was a fantastic <laughs> experience. And uh, yeah, they accepted me. So I just decided, you know what, I'll go. So I went there by myself to work in this like hostel. And you're basically like YOLO, like this fucking I YOLO. Like I completely YOLO'd and it could have gone either way. And I have to say my parents supported me in this. They, they, my mom, my mom was like, you have to go. It's a good idea. Even my father was backing me up and it helped me like, because and deep inside, I was scared. Of course, I was scared of doing it as well. So I, when I arrived there, South Africa is a beautiful place. Like, took me a little while to get like, to, like took me a little while to like settle down. But then I started like meeting enough people because in hostels it's very easy to meet people, mm. and I started feeling like home. African people, I mean South African people, are s- super welcoming. They're very welcoming. This this culture of like just being nice that right. is very refreshing. So when I arrived in Cape Town, I started working in this hostel. It was a simple job, you know, and I think I needed th- this too. Simple job that had like a simple deadline, where I could build myself around and like do things around it. So I kept doing photography, singing, writing. I did so many different things. And this stable environment allowed me to thrive, I think. It allowed me to thrive and be in a different place where I could seek to rejuvenate myself a bit. And like start tackling my issues in a more frontal way. Because that's the thing. And I'm uh, maybe speaking for OCD, but it's for anything that you may be experiencing. At some point, you will have to tackle them head on. And I think you need to find the right environment to do it because right. you can't live in a constant state of war. You know, you can't live in a constant state where you're like always, you're always like being challenged, challenged, and challenged. The process of like healing and growing as a person is also made of like moment where you can rest. Yeah, sometimes you need that, right? To yeah. to kind of um, recuperate or like you know. Like build, yeah, just you need rest. Like everyone needs rest, basically. It's a safe space, basically. Yeah, more or less. you need. You sometimes you need those moments of like um, comfort and just taking a break, right, from the day to day. Yeah, it's it's just you, you need, yeah exactly it's exactly it's pretty much that. So when I was there, I worked in a township. So township, if you don't know what it is, uh, it's the poorest areas of uh, Cape Town. Poorest area? Do you mean is it like slums? Or yeah, they're slums. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm not gonna say that I worked regularly there. I went once with uh, one of my friend who was a volunteer there. Mm-hmm. We spent an entire day uh, with Kevin working there in a school. And even if it was once, and uh, maybe I wish I did it more often, it was a profound profound experience um, meeting these kids and seeing what their day to day was was quite something. Um, I also hiked a lot. I traveled around uh, Cape Town, met different people, took so many pictures because uh, I got really into like photography and I re- just enjoy sharing and writing with people. Right. I also wrote an article on the Russia war uh, in Ukraine. Right. And when this happened, I guess that was my analytical side that I can't really completely forsake. Right. It's, yeah. it's part of me. This is the trick as well. Like when you make these big decisions, sometimes you tend to say, I want to dis- discard everything from before. But 
It's more complex. We're all complex human beings. We're not, you, I don't think we're like unidimensional. We're multidimensional. So you can do what you want. Okay, if you want on the weekend or even in the, in the week weekdays to go and sing in the bar, I did it. Do it. Yeah. So, bloody do it. If you want to go play in the play, do it. If you want to, if you want to like become a singer, then do it. Like the thing is, your job doesn't, your job doesn't like uh, make make up everything of your personality. Yeah, it's, it's not your one identity, of your right? And look at you, like you're doing a podcast right now and then you're a consultant during the week. You know, this is what people need to understand. Like some people, I guess, are blessed with the opportunity to really embrace some job or some like opportunity and let them become themselves, everything about themselves. But even the greatest actors and uh, and, uh, artists I know are multidimensional. They do things, they do different things. They're also philanthropists on the side. If you think of DiCaprio, he's working against global warming a lot so it's doing a lot of work in this area he's not just an actor right uh, in the same for other like some of them investors some sports people a great business businessman and yeah and they, exactly. they some of them even star into like movies like uh, lebron james yeah you know like people need to understand this that like you need to chill out chill the f out <laughs> you can yeah. do different things and try out different things right exactly explore different areas because you the thing is if you don't try you never know if you actually like that area right you <laughs> you might think oh investment banking for example is the best thing I, that's that's the the, the place i want to be that's the only thing that's my whole life and you know I'll just it's just part of the grind part of the grind but like you know maybe it's not you just you need can to try, try out different things maybe you don't maybe you like something else Right. Yeah, you need to try. I think it's, it's all about trying and giving yourself like cutting yourself some slack. Yeah. You know, like and that's what here. you did, right? When you went to to South Africa. Yeah, I think so. Uh, trying to learn to do it. You know, uh, <coughs> it's, it's hard when you your entire life you've been very perfectionist and you always wanted to like do things in the perfect way. Uh, to like tell yourself that like yeah, you, sometimes you can fail. Sometimes like you can try stuff. Like I was, for example, I was singing every week at like um, an open mic. Yeah, which by the way, like. When, like, when all of a sudden I just asked, like, Kevin, for example, oh, where's, where's uh, Stefan? Because I hadn't spoken to you for a while. Yeah. I was like, where's, where's Stefan? What is he doing? He's like, uh, he's like, um, yeah, he's in South Africa singing and, uh, you know, working in a hostel. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong? Like, what, what's, what's going on here? How did that happen? You know, how did that, how, how did that happen? But yeah, but it's, it's, it's great. Like you just decided to to go there and experience um, new things. What's the craziest thing, or like one of the? Because I'm sure, like you know, it's it's hard to think on the spot. But like one of the craziest experiences, or like the most interesting stories that happened in in South Africa. That Almost running out of gas in the middle of Namibia. That was crazy. Oh, shoot. That's uh, what, so this is after. Once you're done, once you were from, like out of South Africa, you went to Namibia. Yeah, I went to Namibia for two weeks to uh, work in a. F- farm to work in a farm bro this is like <laughs> to work in a farm like, right above like, man vegetable farm <laughs> vegetable farm yeah. what the fuck? yeah i got so bored there oh my god I, Think... I remember seeing snaps of you like cutting wood or something like yeah. that yeah and i was like this guy is nuts like props <laughs> to him this guy is nuts. <laughs> it's just it like it was so cool though. Like it was so cool. Like one day I see you in South Africa singing in a in a bar. The next day I see you cutting wood in fucking Namibia. I was like, 
What? <laughs> I just thought, like, I, had, I met that guy called, I mean, I didn't, through Workaway again. Again, guys, Workaway, great, 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 like, resource, please go on this. A guy called Gunnar, who had a vegetable farm. He's of a, a, a German origin in the Namibia, so Namibia used to be a German colony. That's why those people speak German there. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun and, fact. Yeah, fun fact. <laughs> uh, well, not so fun, because, uh, you know, colonization, well, but yeah. still. <laughs> fact, let's say fact. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> um, and, like, Gunnar had a vegetable farm, and he was looking for people for two weeks, so we went there with uh, two other friends. Uh, Wendy Efene, shout out to you if you listen to this. They're really, really cool people. And um, so we went there, and it was the most isolated place in the world I have ever been. Like, we, it was, like... Two and a half hours from the nearest biggest big city like it was in the middle of the desert and it was surrounded by leopards like leopards there was leopards like roaming freely so we couldn't really go out uh, like you know the at fact, night you wouldn't go did out. you see any no i didn't i didn't they, they, they hide pretty well apparently so it's oh. you're, this it really you. is them who see you <laughs> yeah yeah they'll probably stalking you and be like when is when is stefan going to be by himself <laughs> literally could jump on him and eat him but they don't they don't really attack you unless like they're injured or you know Mm. But because I mean I think leopards like they judge size as well pretty well right because leopards they're not that big right no but they can easily kill you like, yeah, yeah 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 like he told us like the guy was always carrying a gun with him by the way everywhere he went oh shit he said that like they would like sneak up on you from the back then they jump you out they with their clothes they like they take your head and like pull it to the back and they bite you in the neck. So your reflex must be to like rope your like rope your like your arm around your neck so that they bite your arm instead of your neck. Mm. And then he said, literally said, then it's time for you to have the fight of your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Then it's you against the leopard. Pretty it's much. you against the leopard, basically. Yeah, you oh, have to stab shit. him like whatever. Like he was very descriptive. And uh, yeah, so we stayed a couple of days. But the thing is, like, we got really bored because. We were like, oh, I'm in middle of nowhere. I'm supposed to travel the world. Why am I like cutting wood in the middle of a... I saw some massive spiders as well. Like, fun fun story. Like, I was like in this house that was separated from the main farm. Then I I went to... The, my, my bathroom was separated from my room. So I went in the middle, middle of the night to go to the toilet. And I opened the, the door and I heard like... Like this. Uh, and then I switched on the light and I saw three tarantula on the walls. And I was like, like proper black, uh, black uh, spiders, side of my hand, like just crawling on the wall. And literally, I remember like being like, nope, (laughs) turning off the light (laughs) and like like, cloning the door. I'm like, I am not going in there. (laughs) Like, bear in mind, I'm not scared of spiders at all. But I was like, this is not happening. (laughs) This is too much right now. And uh, yeah, so after after a while, we decided, you know what, let's just rent a car in Vinhook, which is the capital of Namibia, and just drive so we did that drive we did Fuck. rented the car went to Sosuvle, the beautiful dunes the what well, sorry Sosuvle, it's called okay uh the picture you remember the picture on instagram where i'm like sitting and there's like a sand behind me yeah, yeah the yeah. dunes of Sosuvle. oh shit. it's beautiful it's on the west coast it took us like i think it was uh, six or five five or six hours to get there from winhook we rented a small suv that was like the cheapest we could more or less get uh and there was like you know when like all the roads are like dirt roads there so like it's like like this when you walk it's like when oh, you drive, drive it's a bit like and we saw so many animals because like there's no one in namibia there's 2.5 million people for 850,000 square kilometers 
uh, how much is that like relative to because like, 850,000 square kilometers to well me France is a France is 630,000 square kilometers and it has 67 million people so there you go and France is, is definitely like underpopulated for its size if you think about it yeah so it's not very dense but like population no, the way no, it, density France has yeah. a big like uh, gap in the middle called the uh, empty diagonal so like a country like France should have should have like almost 100 million people to be clo closer to the, like the density for example of germany germany which is i think 350,000 maybe 400,000 square kilometers wait germany is much much smaller than it's quite France? it's quite smaller right let me double check on my you phone can double, yeah but i think thought, it's smaller where's the phone uh i don't know why i left my phone somewhere Oh, it's recording. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What a halfwit. <laughs> well, I don't know how much, but so Germany is substantially smaller than France and it has 80 million people living in it. Oh, wait. Oh. Yeah. I can double check over here. Because, like, I thought um, Germany and, and France were pretty much the same size. No, no, no. Let me see. Germany. I think Spain is not too far from France. Let's see, Germany size, 357,000 kilometers squared. Let's see, oh, and the population is 83 million. There you go. I think France is 630. Let me see France. France population first is 67 million. Yeah. And then let me put size. 543,000, almost oh, 544,000. I thought it was 600. Or maybe it's with the, the islands they have everywhere in the world. Do oh. they count islands in it? Or is it just like metropolitan France? I think it's just France. Huh, I don't know. Yeah. Spain is 505. So See, so it's not that far, right? It's not that far, you're right. I didn't know Germany was much smaller than... Because like in the maps, it looks pretty much the same, but yeah. I guess... Yeah, maybe it's this distortion because of the Mercator projection, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, by the way, you've all done that, like, thing, right? Like, everyone has done the thing. I was like, okay, so let's see the biases of the maps. Mercator projection. <laughs> it makes, like, a, the Greenland look as big as Africa, even though, like, Greenland is the size of Algeria. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, we don't really realize how big Africa as a continent it's is. Huge. It's so big. In the maps, like, in the 2D maps we get, like, flat, yeah. flat maps, it's just, like, so underrepresented compared to, like, Greenland and Canada. And... Russia looks so big, but Russia is actually just the north of Africa. Yeah. If you take it, it's from Morocco to Egypt, I think. Yeah, you could fit, what was it, the Russia and the U.S. within? Russia, U.S., China, and uh, I think another one in Africa. The fuck? Wait, wait, wait. I think China might be too much. No, 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 no. no. Really? Like, uh, Russia, so, uh, I'm pretty sure I remember this. What's the side again? China, I think, is 9 million square kilometers. Russia is 17 million. Uh, the US is 9 million as well. Okay. And uh, then you can add another country in it. So that's oh, 9, 9, 18 plus 17. So like, I think you can fit every all of this in, uh, in Africa. It's huge. Africa is actually huge. We could do like a quiz of like, uh, like geography. I think I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the biggest nerd. Like, we've, <laughs> we've played around with, with the side a lot. <laughs> what was the side again to check this? Was it like the true size or something like that? True size of. True size yeah, of. Really good website, by the way. Have a look at this if you want to like waste some time when you're working. Uh, like, just go and check the real size of stuff. <laughs> but also, you realize Australia is the size of Europe. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> and there's like 30 million people living in Australia and it's the size of Europe. Holy shit. Like, literally, when you go in Australia and you go, like, oh, yeah, I need to go to Perth or something. When you're in Sydney, it's like, I don't know how long it takes, but it's just like. Exactly. In Europe, it would be like moving three countries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even in the US, if you think about it, like in New York, when you have to go to LA, 
it takes what five six hours it to takes get there? six hours yeah <laughs> when I, i remember going like from new york to las vegas it took us six hours it's the same country it's the same <laughs> fucking same. country and you're like, flying over the same country this entire time yeah. <laughs> which to a european is like fucked up right because the, the most we would travel in, in our country if it's by like by a plane yeah it's like you... what like maybe two hours i think uh, lisbon to finland is less than six hours yeah probably So which is like <laughs> crossing entirety of Europe. Yeah, it's insane. I think six hours from Paris, you'd you'd get to well, you get to Doha, I think, in Qatar. Yeah, I think I, it's. I think what well, it may, six or seven hours. I think seven hours. I think because well, well, it may, maybe six actually because like from from Madrid to Dubai, I think it was like seven hours. Well, there you go. You switching. You switching continent. Yeah. <laughs> culture. Everything. It's insane. Switching literally everything. And it's only seven hours. Oh, it's, insane. it's so crazy. It's so <laughs> crazy. True size of stuff. So, like, what when you were in uh, Namibia, like, what? Uh, how come you decided to like take a car and just travel um, everywhere? Like, what? What? What else did you do? You start? Did you start experiencing and seeing? Uh, well, then we just did was to Souvle, and then like for the funny story, uh, so we were so we we had like a tank that was like. You know, like you had bars for the tank, and I think we had ten bars total. And when you reach five bars, you were like halfway through your through your fuel. And I think we were for the fuel tank. You mean yeah, in the fuel car, tank. Yeah. yeah. And we were at four bars, so at four bars, I said, okay, we need to look for a petrol station because I thought, you know, four bars should give you still like 150, maybe almost 200 kilometers, okay. so that you should be able to find like a petrol station. So I thought I was being like, uh, I, I thought I had some foresight for that yeah. one. And so we found one that was like not too far. I think it was maybe 70 kilometers away. So we're like, okay, perfect. Like she said, this GPS for this, and we'll stop there. So we reached, and we literally reached the station on the beginning of the fuel reserve. Oh, so we were like, perfect. Yeah. You know, like perfect. I think fuel reserve on the average is what 70, 80 kilometers left. Okay. Right. Like depending on the car, can go a bit more, can go a bit less, depends. Right. And we arrive in a township in the middle of the desert. Like you have no idea why there's a township in the middle of the desert in Namibia. The petrol station is closed. There's no one. Fuck. There's no card thing. You know, it's like of course there's no card. You just pay cash. Yeah. So we're like, okay, damn it. Where's the nearest station? 90 kilometers away. Oh. Uh, 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 that moment I uh, like I remember that moment thinking, okay, that's not great. But then I quickly took the decision. Uh, we took the decision quickly to like just keep moving because like. There's no point staying in the township, yeah. Because it was getting dark, it wasn't really like super safe anyway. So uh, we went there, and then I, I thought, what would the uh, speed to consumption ratio be the most uh, the most efficient? efficient yeah. So I think uh, I, uh, we kind of guessed it would be 60 kilometers per hour. So we stuck to it. Uh, then we checked online, and it was effectively I think for this car 60 kilometers per hour. So we we stuck to it. And at 60 kilometers per hour, we for an, we, we, for an hour and I don't know something, we were stuck this looking at the reserve that was just blinking, oh, and shit. thinking if we stop there, what do we do? So we we're trying to get numbers of petrol station, police, and stuff like that, and no one was answering. No one was answering. Fuck. So we we're thinking, okay, if we stop now, uh, what do we do? Because uh, there's no one. There was there wasn't any cars. We it was dark. Had, it was dark. There's no of course no light, and also like there was like some. The only thing that was co coming through was some, uh, some trucks from time to time, which we thought could potentially help us because they might have some spare fuel, although it probably would be diesel. Mm. 
Um, but also I thought to myself, it would be possible in Europe to stop a truck, but like in the middle of Namibia, they might think it's like a, you know, a trap or something like yeah. a, a scam. We're, we're so, taking uh, over the truck, right? Exactly, That's so they probably wouldn't stop. Um, so we're like, okay. But we try not to panic, just try to focus. That's interesting because in these moments of like, can, I don't want to call it life and death because it's not life and death. Although it could have been very well been because I was in the middle of Namibia. <laughs> yeah. It's like you just focus. Some people react differently, but I just focused on like, how can I get there? Wait, because like, if you would have gone, gone stuck over there, it's dark and all, but what was there anything around? Like Absolutely was nothing. Nothing. Like well, the, the, the nearest thing was whatever distance we had left between us and the city. Right. And were there like animals around as well or was it like yes because Namibia is full of animals so when you drive on the on the road you always have to slow down because you have like i don't know like uh you have like uh, rabbits and birds and stuff like going through it so right. it's a bit of a mess or like do you see like jaguars and leopards and stuff like that as well i didn't cause... see jaguars uh, i don't say i didn't see leopards but apparently they can they can cross sometimes at night yeah because like i mean it would have been dangerous if you just all of a sudden stop in the middle over there yeah and, but i would know, just stay in the car jaguar just oh sorry a leopard just yeah, yeah. Plus it's super cold at night in namibia because mm. it's a very warmer day and then it was winter as well when we were there beginning of winter oh. so like in the night it gets quite cold what I mean like around 8 degrees you know oh fuck so, so like it's not you have to stay in the car um, so then we and then I have to say like by a miracle we made it Easy, I think we had max 5 kilometers left on the car max fuck. and like we literally arrived, we were like la, 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 <laughs> and it's like shouting in the car like, 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 and the guy was like why are you shouting? <laughs> like, literally, like, <laughs> the fuck like, are these crazy people around here? You have no <laughs> idea. I called my dad. I was like, yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> and it was such a... And your dad like, you better be alive, motherfucker. Like, literally. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a weird experience. What do you mean you're alive? What happened? <laughs> but, you know, you just, just feel so alive. Yeah, dude. You just feel so alive when, when these things happen. And, uh, yeah, I, didn't, I don't regret it at all. Uh, it's, it was just a fantastic experience, and Namibia was beautiful, like beautiful in ways that like just touch your heart. Right. It just hauntingly beautiful. I think that's the best way to to describe it. And uh, yeah, then after this, I came back to Cape Town. I, if you want to talk about something interesting, I when I was in Cape Town, I was thinking, okay, I need to find a job. I need to find something because well, I needed money first, and also I. Uh, First, I wanted just need money, so I started like looking for jobs. Because uh, just for context, like the the hostel you were working at previously, they didn't want to carry on work. No, no, they they would, but it's just like, you know, when it's great to leave like that. I, I enjoyed it, but you it can't was, run your entire life. Yeah, it was time to find something different, right? You need to find also a place where to 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 like not just to settle, but just to like find a place where you can call home, mm-hmm. and from it you create your base. For me, it's like you have you need a base. Because right. you need a base to get anywhere, mm-hmm. and so I was like, I need so to create that base. I need some money, and also I need to like, now that I spent some time considering what I enjoy in life, I can go and give it a go. So I made a list of the stuff, just money, like jobs that I would do just for the money, which tend to be in copywriting or uh, photographer or stuff like that. And uh, because the thing is, like online, you have a lot of scams online. You have a lot of people who like pretend they can just make money. They can, you can make money by chilling or like so that. Like, right. Let, let it be real, guys. You only make money when you work. Yeah. Like that's it. There's no magic way to make money. Anything that like when you, you know, the idea of passive income is great, 
and I think it's possible to achieve this by takes a lot of work. It's not it's not just like oh you buy something and then create a passive income. Right. It takes a while. Like you need to to monetize stuff. You need to create content. You need to create stuff. So it's complicated. And I had like a list of jobs that I would love to do, which were mostly internships. So they had like the Economist, uh, Natural Geographic, and NewsGuard. And uh, they had high requirements, and they took a long time to apply for. So I just thought I wouldn't get them. But I applied anywhere. Anyway, uh, I had a really good recommendation from my uh, teacher in uh, in university. The teacher, you by you mean the ethics in, teacher, lecturer in yeah. Uh, Warwick. Yeah, oh. Patrick Tomlin. Uh, so if you listen to me, sir, thank you so much again for this amazing uh, recommendation you gave me. But the NewsGuard, for example, was asking for a recommendation. And um, yeah, so they, he gave me a good one that wrote, I tried, I tried to write like a, a personal statement as a letter that was the most honest I've ever written. Because uh-huh. I spent so much time in work writing stuff just based on like format, you know, right. like, oh, since an early age, I've always wanted to be an investment banker. <laughs> you know? And this one, I just said, okay, I've got. I just this time, I just wanted to like face it. Yeah, every personal statement, man, just starts off the same way. Like since the moment I was since the dawn of time, I wanted to become uh, an consultant in the BCG. Yeah. <laughs> I've always strived to be rich. Yeah. I always strive to be a cop. <laughs> Money is is something that's not that important to me, right? <laughs> no, that's why I want to go into investment banking. <laughs> it really is about impact. <laughs> I'm a problem solver. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to make a big difference. Everyone is a problem solver. <laughs> I really enjoy I, I, working 17 hours a day. <laughs> I combine a highly analytical mind with a, a very high threshold of, of, of pressure I can take. <laughs> Which basically means I would like to be your little bitch for the next six years. Pretty much. <laughs> Until I get my little bitch <laughs> working for me. And then, you know, that's that's When I works. reach the top, they can bully the, the people. That, like, that's what happens, man. That's what happens. Once you reach investment bank, I think, well, once you reach like VP or mm. something like that, or even associate, you all yeah. give all the shitty, shitty work to the incoming analysts. And then, you know, that's how the cycle... That's, that's the that's price you pay, works. I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's price you pay. It's... But I guess once you are a VP or, you know, above, like a director or manager... Then you can spend uh, some of your money, you know, in all your mental health and... You yeah. know, <laughs> all, all of you destroyed when you were younger. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's where your money goes, man. <laughs> we're kidding, guys. If you enjoy investment banking, then good for you. And if you're in this industry and you enjoy it, really good for you of course we're just speaking from personal experience exactly and our from our friends experience as well exactly <laughs> in our opinion only engages us we're not presenting anyone when we say this <laughs> this is only full disclaimer <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes yeah, so i wrote i uh, think i tried to write a very personal personal statement kind of and um yeah we had amazing interviews and i was just thrilled to because um i can't speak too much about what exactly i do at newsguard but um, that the company does is they fight fake, they fight fake news. So they identify fake news in different websites, give them ratings, and uh, they work. We work with a team of journalists, and we try to like fight fake news that way. So the goal, of course, is to uh, spread media literacy as much right. as possible, because the impact of fake news is like startling. It's absolutely haunting how how much the fake news can impact people. The January sixth. Um, well, insurrection, some people can call it insurrection, some people call it riots. It's uh, still a political term to be defined. But what happened on January 6th in 2021, uh, for example, could 
partially be attributed to a misinformation on what the happened Syrian in January people. 26th uh, so uh, on January 6th um so there it was during it was during uh, a time of the passation of power right like uh, power had to be passed on from Donald Trump to uh, Biden mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what they should have been but I think it was two weeks after uh, this um, people uh, people or like Trump like was still claiming that that what happened on January 6th, uh, sorry, what happened during the election, when there was a fraud in the election and that he had won, blah, 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 blah. So people kind of like came to the Capitol in Washington and started kind of rioting. And then some entrances got like overwhelmed. They started like spreading into the Capitol, seeking lawmakers and well, wrecking havoc really. And wait, just put your mic, mic a little bit closer. Sorry. Yeah, there's better. Yeah. Sorry. And yeah, sorry. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah, and so it was a very defining moment for democracy in the US. It was shocking. I think eight people died uh, that day, which is not too surprised to talk about. And a lot of the people who came there were filled with conspiracy theory about like what was going on in the capital, what was going on in the US democracy. Was that when they kind of took over the what was it the the, Cong- the senate the congress house something like that like when the right wing oh, that was quick qanon oh that... yeah so uh, qanon is one of the groups right like where qanon is like it's a bit complex but it's just a guy apparently it's like a guy who uh, through his twitter account i think uh, shares or it's just like his website shares like conspiracy theories that people right. buy into and then they read into the behavior of like some people like trump um confirmation of these conspiracy theories one of the most widespread like fake news has been spread is that like there is like some form of like cartel led by uh what's her name again um hillary clinton and then the clinton family and that like trump is trying to like dismantle that Right. Whatever. Some crazy story. Yeah. Conspiracy theory is based on nothing, but yeah. like there's another theory is that uh, the son of JFK was still alive, even though he died in a plane crash in 1993, I think. <laughs> that he was the dude that we saw behind Trump at some point. He's helping Trump fight the deep state. There's a lot of the like. Fuck. Yeah, it's not. You know, it it sounds uh, it, it sounds laughable when you hear this, but like a lot of people believe that. Yeah. Like the Earth is flat. Yeah. Yeah. It is just. The, one of the reasons they believe that as well is they, I think, they feel ostracized from an elite they don't, an elite they don't like yet trust. They don't trust anymore. So the, yeah, the question. I think questioning things is right. Is the right thing to do. Yeah. But you know, sometimes you have to wonder whether you're actually like on the right track or like whether your questions are actually right. Right. Like. That's the issue between skepticism enough... and healthy skepticism. Mm. You know, like you have to least be skeptic. We also have to have a a system of like uh like system that allows you to believe in some stuff. Like you can't just you you can't just like be skeptic skeptic of everything. Otherwise, you don't move forward in life. Right. You need to trust some things. So that's why we're trying to do this at the News Guard. We're trying to curb that by like helping people. Uh, discern between uh, discern between quality sources and quality like media that like have like heavy journalistic standards that they respect and those who don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so they... and how how does it work exactly? So like so we've got a team of journalists, okay. um, around fifty journalists who review extensively review 
everything, like all the websites of the different news ag aggregators or news information websites in the US, in France, in Germany, in the UK, in Italy. Uh, yeah, I think we've done everything. Yeah. And we, yeah, so we, we review the website and we give them a rating out of 100. If you're below 60, you're considered red, which means like you uh, are considered for us not unsafe. You are, you are unsafe. Like the website is considered unsafe yeah, for yeah. like uh, information. And if you're above 60, you consider generally safe. But then of course, there's a difference between a site that's got 65 and a site that's got 95, right? Yeah. The, the journalistic standards are different. And uh, yes, yeah, so this team of journalists does it. It's a very lengthy analysis. Um, they decided not to do it with via an algorithm, probably as well because they wanted to like acknowledge that there's a big nuance in the way you read information, right? Which an AI can't do, right? For now, yeah, like it seems like AI are not are able to do that because this is very complex. Because yeah. like an article can be written in a way that seems to be praising something, but the tone can be different. Or mm. the person who writes the article is notoriously from a certain side, then writes an article that talks about something else. Or they try, is this a metaphor for something? There's a very complex thing that seems like AI can't do yet. Yeah. So this is in thankfully because then gives a really good job for these journalists who work really hard like they've got layers and layers of verification the newsguard is completely apolitical in the way it approaches things the idea is to be neutral and to try to uh, like analyze information from both sides from both sides from every side so we review every single piece of information and try to stick to the facts right and provide these facts to people and i think that's what people should do right just use facts mm -hmm. use actual like truths right like i don't know like when when people disagree on a topic right um sometimes there is evidence to back both points mm -hmm. right so what sometimes i wonder like how to best resolve that because like both there's evidence to back both points but then how do you actually know the real truth Right? Do you have to go even more in depth into, for example, the studies of those uh, of those topics? Right. So, for say, for example, like uh, let's take vaping. So, vaping was um, is considered to be more safe than smoking, right? Mm -hmm. Based on some studies. Yeah. But then other studies say that you know there is um, like there's a release of lead when mm -hmm. you vape because when you burn the the liquid, when you evaporate the liquid, there's some lead that's yeah. released which causes some cancer or something like that. So like and they're both, you know, valid studies. So, like, how do you how do you know like the benefits or the drawbacks of of uh, of vaping in this case, or like, you know, how do you how do you balance both? Of them? Oh, I think you just believe in the. Oh, I just have to believe in the scientific method method, which sometimes it's shortfalls that it takes long, it takes mm -hmm. a while to understand. You know, yeah. it's um, you can't sometimes you just can't get the answer straight. Like to be let's be honest with vaping, we don't really know. It's probably going to take ten years to yeah. really understand exactly what's going to happen, and people need. to take responsibility for what they choose now. If mm -hmm. you just decide to, to vape, you know that there are risks that we don't yet understand completely. Uh, then of course, like you, then it's also the decision of the state. Like in the US, they plan it, they want to ban it, right? I've heard that they want to ban vaping in some states. Right. In the, UA, the US, um, well, philosophically, some people might disagree with that simply because like you should allow people to decide what they want. Or you could also say that like, it's good that like the state has a responsibility to try and preserve people's life. Then you get into the debate as, as well with uh, gun violence and everything, right? Yeah. So that's the thing. The issue with the f truth is that sometimes it can also be sometimes it can also be a rabbit hole. What I mean by that is that there are facts, and facts are great, and it's great that we have scientists 
and like people who work to find these facts. But as you said, for vaping, sometimes it's hard to find the to find the fact itself because it's not that study is going to take a while. It's not readily available. At that moment, I think it's just your own responsibility. Do you choose? To, what do you choose to to abide by? Um, it, truth is a very complex thing. Uh, like loads of philosophers have, have spoken about like what truth is, and you've got like massive category of philosophy that talk about what truth is and try to like find counter argument to truth and stuff like that. But at some time you need to find a, you need to find a, a like a firm ground. You mm -hmm. need to, you can't just keep yourself. As we talk about again, again about skepticism. You, you can't just spend your time questioning everything, right. because then it gets a rabbit hole and you're missing the point. The point is not to like question everything constantly. The point is to have a healthy skepticism and right. be critical about what you hear. But also sometimes defer to people's people's opinion, which are more educated. For example, um, like experts, right? Just... Yeah, like I think so. Um, I believe in vaccines because I've got we've got people, scientists who've worked very hard, who've done PhDs and long studies on how to help people. Uh -huh. I, I th that's great, and I trust them in, right. with my life because yeah. this is their job it's their 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 thing but then i they might defer to me and my knowledge of uh, something different on something different because I've, I've i've specialized in it and i have some knowledge in it yeah it's all like photography for example you I photography, mean, I a question photography like, or exactly, like philosophy or politics philosophy, or yeah. uh, and media and maybe even like business development which i'm how doing with in news right now that's, that's what i do to be fair if i have like a question about politics or philosophy <laughs> that, you know, i just go to you man like that's that's what i've been doing since uh since uh since uni i think i remember when when i when i joined uni for people who don't know i did not know anything about politics. like mm -hmm. i did not know what socialism was <laughs> i did not know what capitalism anything i was like uh what we don't we don't do this in tenerife man <laughs> in tenerife what we do is uh, sit on the beach and play football and shit. Like we don't discuss these these things back there. So I came out like completely fresh, completely new into it. And you actually, along with um, Shankar and Kevin, I remember sat me down one day and took me through. Right. So you start on the left. You have you know communists. You have socialism. Then you go all the way to the right. And you know it's it's it, it was so so interesting. And I, I remember reading about it after that as well. It's like I learned so much. Um, Thanks to you guys over there as well. So well, but even the, these concepts are, are heavily fluid as well. Like right now, it, it'd be different to talk about left and right now than it would be when you learned it firsthand. Mm. So like, it, that's the thing about social sciences that it's definitely not set in stone. And even calling them science sometimes it's a bit of a stretch, right? Compared mm -hmm. to physics or, or mathematics. Yeah. But I would say the same thing. I differ to you from many, many different knowledges. Like what is a black hole? <laughs> like, I no that's, that, that's the thing right we could have like the stupidest conversation one moment and literally the next moment be having this the most deep and interesting conversation like especially you and me mm -hmm. we just I, I ask a question like some of the questions would just be like just so dumb um and you we would call each other i remember when when you were with uh, nira of kevin i think it was your your birthday yours in kevin's birthday maybe and i remember receiving a call from you or was it Nirav? Were you, were you three of you were together? No, 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 it was me. It was something, a discussion with Nirav. With Nirav. Yeah, I remember you were sitting on the rooftop in, in Lem and just saying, Vivek, Vivek, um, if I drop, uh, what was it? If I drop a piece of paper from this height 
and I know how long it takes to reach the ground. How lo- how do, can I calculate the distance? And I remember. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, I remember. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we wanted to throw something, count the time it took to get down. Yeah. And they have, uh, hence the guess the the height. Yeah, exactly. Which we can, right? We can. We, we yeah, absolutely we can. can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're using Subat. I remember. I remember literally sitting in in my in my old house and being like, the fuck, but. <laughs> Yes, we can do it. And then I was—I remember, I remember like help, uh, helping you out uh, doing that as well. It was just a crazy conversation we had. The, what's the one thing I have to say when you meet, um, when uh, you go to like uh, university? That's a great thing. Is that you realize that like people who are quite smart, like when I'm talking about the people I used to hang out with, I think a lot of them are really smart. They tend to be very curious, mm. and I, I've always been a very curious person. And um, I think curiosity is the source of many of like many of knowledge right? you want to be curious about stuff yeah so it's always and also like you defer to people who know more right so it's just it's unbearable to for me to not understand how yeah, like uh, how a black hole works like when i hear about like about it online like talk about black hole and like what is this what is this like uh, understanding like uh, the speed of light and gravity and all these kind of things uh, it's just unbearable for me not to understand mm-hmm. because y- usually it's easier for me to understand other things like yeah economic policies and like philosophical philosophical ideas but then sometimes i get in areas where i don't understand like it's the same thing for uh medicine like if i when i don't understand for example when the vaccine uh, the vaccine the covid vaccine came out um so uh, well, i forgot the name of uh, the exact way this vaccine is working right it's so i think mrna it was vaccine the new the mrna new exactly so yeah. it's like injects a protein protein yeah exactly uh, it's not the actual virus it's exactly. a protein, it's of it's the a virus, protein. Right? yeah just the mrna strand exactly and so that triggers a reaction in your body that is akin to uh, the reaction they would have if I'd been affected by a lower, powerful, le- lesser powerful version of the virus. Exactly. But with less risk because it's not the virus. Yeah. Well, with less risk and it, it makes it quicker as well quicker. because, you know, you're directly injecting the mRNA exactly. um, strand. So you're not injecting like a weak form of the virus, which takes a, a while for it for your body to realize that, you know, there's a virus and you have to tag it and, you know, mm. develop the mRNA strands and all that. Here you're literally just putting the mRNA so your body can just, you know, replicate it quickly and produce the antibodies necessary. Which is amazing. And you just have to listen. Like, I just literally went, I think I called back then, I called uh, Max, you know, who works in, uh, he did like uh, biology. Yeah, uh, at yeah, work. from, from um, Hamburger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, I remember he, uh, at that time, I think he worked in a, he looked, worked in a lab, like he was working with viruses. And so I, I just asked him, like, so how does it work? And he explained to me. And yeah, I was, I was good afterward because like, uh, that's it. Like I'm not a I'm not a scientist. I'm not. I don't work in this area. Why would I have? Why would my opinion be more educated than someone who's done a fucking master or PhD in it? Yeah. Like. But then again, I guess, um, going back to the skepticism, like people are skeptic of um, people with PhDs and and masters and all that because it's kind of like we just have to trust them. You have to just have to trust their opinion, right? But they could literally say anything they want, and we would have to believe it. In some anything that makes sense, obviously, um, but we would we would have to believe it, right? I think that's that's what gives rise sometimes to some conspiracy theories of course. as well. Then 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 there's always they, they, sometimes they spread this stupid argument that like they're part of some kind of like unified elite that like controls yeah. the world, blah 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 <laughs> yeah. blah blah. blah. Uh, that's not true. Uh, people, individuals, they have their own like wish and needs. Uh, they're more complex than that. They don't just 
go by with like a ring where they belong to some kind of like big big ass like conspiracy thing. No, <laughs> some elite culture or some elite society or something like that. Exactly. Only we, they know about. You we know? both know people who are doing PhDs and uh-huh. uh, like uh, the the people like you and me. They just yeah. very passionate about one topic. Right? You know, it's that that's it. Um, and yeah, but you're right. Like, there's always the idea of like having to trust someone. And that's the thing that's what's going on right now uh, in the democratic deficit we've seen in the Western world. It's the destruction of trust. We don't trust the, the elite. We don't trust uh, our rulers. We don't we even don't trust each other. So we start like doing God of the gaps. So if there's a gap in a knowledge, might as well just be fucking aliens who like uh, did it. Right. It's easier to explain than like some complex scientific explanation from a yeah. guy. And this is why I'm uh, happy to be working in uh, disinformation because the goal is to reinstore trust through increasing media literacy, increasing people's capacity to discern between uh, information that is reliable. It doesn't have to be completely true, but it's reliable. It's from a reliable source and just misinformation that is made with an agenda, with an agenda of uh, disrupting democracy or or an agenda, economic agenda. No, it's just unfair. So this is where, like, in my mind, one site which gives you all the studies and all the facts, right, backed by studies, yeah, um, and it tells you like the reliability of the study as well, like how many patients it was uh, done on, or how much, how long it was run for, and all that. It gives you like a reliability score in every single parameter, every single um, um, dimension, right? Yeah. I think that would be very good, right? Because then there would be no argument in terms of, or at least less argument in terms of what's true and what's not true, right? But that's what we're doing in a way. Like, you have access to all the parameters. You have access to the biography of the journalist who writes these, like, these, um, we call them nutrition labels. Mm-hmm. You have access to the biography. Uh, you have access to who they are, like, how they did it. The process of, like, uh, reflection, like behind, like there's an explanation behind everything, and the, the goal is to be as transparent as possible. So then I encourage anyone who'll be listening to, to download the plugin and uh, see for themselves. Like, yeah. there's no, I think there's no team in the world, team of journalists that is more dedicated to the truth than people at NewsGuard. Like, they seek to make the world a better place, mm. and that's our goal. And so I inform people, right? Inform people about the truth of what's true and what. Or what uh, what site at least is reliable and says you know generally true things yeah and what is just fake news and even though I'm in the business side as well I mean also like in development side as well as also like helping a bit with the journalistic side uh, my goal is to spread this uh, spread this uh, this company as much as possible to like help more people get uh, these like good information yeah and this is paramount because it hurts so much to like hear friends sometimes start like sp- spreading weird exactly. things. Exactly, that's that's what I think as well. Like when I when I see like people I know as well like believing some stupid theory, which I know is not what I know. I mean, like you know, I've done I've done research, for example, and I know that I know about this area, mm-hmm. right? Um, so when I start seeing people believing some BS or some some stupid theory or conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, whatever. I'm just like, like, really? Like, <laughs> you know, if you do a little bit of research, you'll find out, you know, what, what the truth is. Like, I remember I have some friends back home as well, like, who literally they believed that the vaccine was um, 
was not the most was not effective or i think i can't remember exactly what they believed but like it was like oh there was one oh yeah i have one friend who believed that the vaccine was just a way to make the rich people richer and that's because they saw like bill gates investing a lot of, uh, a lot of money in it so they were like yeah you watch watch how bill gates is going to be the real winner of the vaccine and you know we don't really need it but it's just a way to make the rich people richer and i'm like dude like it's, it doesn't make any sense like it, it, f- firstly they have an amount of money that it's just incomprehensible like why would they need more they're giving away the money <laughs> they're literally <laughs> giving true. away the money so like i don't see the point of well, i guess it's also a reflection of like the exploding amount of inequalities in this world it's true mm. that like it is mind-blowing that like some people's wealth can top more than 200 billion <laughs> of course it, it is because like i guess philosophically there's no difference physically between Elon Musk and a beggar in the street. There's, they're both humans. Yeah. So people, it's like inconceivable that we might have people dying in our streets. And then you've got like people who are able to amass that much wealth. Yeah. And they, of course, it's not saying that they don't deserve that wealth because they, in a system, a capitalistic system where you're rewarded for the value to create. If you create a lot of value, then of course you uh, get a lot of return, a lot, yeah. in, a lot of it in return. But this is why I think the state has a place there. The state is here to try and counterbalance this and give more opportunities to those who don't have this opportunity. Uh, people like to say, uh, American people especially, uh, are crave freedom, they crave liberty to like inter- like to succeed in a society and like lessen like state intervention as possible. But I don't envy the American society. Uh, mm-hmm. I am happy in a European setting where, of course, the state has more power, more control, but also we have less poor. We have less poor. We have well, uh, less less um, uh, gap between the yeah rich. smaller gap, and yeah. we've got universal healthcare and all these things. I'm happy to pay taxes. Like uh, I mean, I grew up in Monaco, but I'm French, so I pay I pay taxes, right. uh, and uh, I'm happy about this because healthcare system has helped me when I was in uh, when my parents didn't have that much money. The healthcare French healthcare system helped me a lot, and that's thanks to this system. Right, and that's I think it's right. And the thing is, and I think it's also our generation, our generation. I'm speaking for us. I think is more concerned, more and more concerned about like being fair, mm-hmm. and like you know environmental, uh, like like impact working for the environment, the environment, environmental impact and stuff like this. Because also you realize that like hoarding money, first of all, like even like if you go back to the beginning, like with Adam Smith didn't like the idea of hoarding money. Money needs to needs to move. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's good that you like have money for you, like you keep it for protection. But amassing insane amount of money seems just weird. And so it's good that like this money keeps moving in the economy. So like yeah. uh, more people get involved, more people get productive and can lead their life, whatever life they want to lead. That's great. But also we need to be sure that like we aim towards a sustainable future. Today we're dying of heat in London. Yeah. What what the fuck is going on? Like, and it's insane to think that, like, you know, like, we just learned a couple of days ago that Germany is reopening some of its coal, coal uh, factories. <laughs> you know, and it's of like course, a step back. feel like a step back. But then again, we're not stupid people. We understand that, like, sometimes you got to do what you got to do because people need electricity, mm. the, war in, the war in Ukraine, everything. It's complex. We can't just snap like this yeah. and make everything change. Politics is a long, it's a, it's a marathon. Yeah. But... 
I'm happy that our, I see our generation going, I think, in the right direction. The right, morally, exactly. You know. As long as we're aiming in the right, right direction, we could have, like, we're going to have setbacks. Yeah. Um, but I think as long as eventually we do transition into, like, um, in this case, what we were talking about, like, cleaner society, right? A cleaner um, energy uh, supply. This is one dimension, but, you know, in general, it could be applied to uh, other other places as well. As long as, we, as long as we're aiming in the right direction, I think that's just the important thing, right? Yeah, just aim for fair, more fairness. Not equality, we're all different. But yeah. trying to aim for equity, you know, give everyone a, a similar opportunities or... That's the thing, equality of opportunity is, yeah. the, is what should be done. Right? What of should course. Be... But just allowing people to uh, be themselves. Yeah. You know, like it sounds very like basic to say that oh everyone's doing <laughs> stuff but um i can tell you that like when you go to south africa you go to the township and you see what opportunities they have there and i can tell you these kids are not they're the same like they're just as smart as anyone like you could you put them in a school in the uk they'll they'll be great i i well to be honest i think most of them might be even better because <laughs> yeah. because like have because, the grind. exactly exactly because they come from such a low income background they have like it's like all or nothing. That's what we see in, in India, for example, as well, right? People are obsessed with their grades. Yeah. Um, and like 1% can make such a big difference. Like back in the day, I mean, now less, but back in the day, there was such a high rate of suicide after the exam results were out. Because people, because you only got, I think it was, you only got a scholarship if you were, if you got 99% yeah. or above. And obviously, people needed the scholarships because they didn't have the money to pay for it for uni. So if you, if some people got like ninety-eight point nine or something like that, and they were like, "Yeah, sorry, you didn't, you didn't get it." This, this is and it's ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. Like you, st- you spend like your most of your time studying, and you get ninety-eight point nine. It's a big hit, man. It's you potentially a end up doing a job you don't want to do anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <It's just laughs> exactly, like... exactly. But I guess in, in their situation, like it's like. I either get the job, or I I don't have anything else. Yeah, that's true. Like, because I, would, come from I such wouldn't know now. exactly. Like, yeah, I would never understand like how it feels to grow up in India. Mm. It's like the world is so diverse. Right. And they're back. On that note, we're on gonna, that note, we can finish it. We can end the podcast. Thank <laughs> you very much, um, Stefan. I really appreciate you being wow. here. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who can listen, that's Kevin in the background. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thanks for inviting, man. It means a lot, and uh, really like this uh, vibe. So cheers, cheers, man, cheers. Thanks everyone for those listening back home as well, and I'll see you next time.